You're listening to episode 101 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Are you a vivid dreamer? Have you ever woken up from a dream and wondered if it was real? Or maybe you were perplexed by how odd it was, which leaves you questioning, what does this mean? A listener requested an episode dedicated to dreams, and like the little genie I am, I made it happen. This week's guest is Jane Teresa Anderson, and Jane Teresa is a dream analysis, dream therapist, writer, and mentor. She has been researching dreams since 1992 and developing and teaching dream alchemy practices and exercises that shift perspective and reprogram unconscious limiting beliefs. I'm excited to share this conversation because we not only talk about common dreams and what they mean, but Jane Teresa also takes a dream that was sent in from one of our audience listeners and breaks it down with deeper understanding. This episode is sponsored by Spiritually Seeking. Spiritually Seeking is the new brand that I've recently launched that serves as a hub for the curious, for the awakening, and for the seeking. From card readings to numerology reports and even one-on-one spiritual guidance, I offer an array of goodies to those who are on the journey of awareness and enlightenment. And they're all at different price points from $11 and up, so really there's something for everyone. Head over to spiritually-seeking.com and check it out. And be sure that you sign up to get notified when the new podcast, Spiritually Seeking, launches, which, by the way, the trailer is already available on Apple Podcasts, so definitely go check that out. Are you ready to meet Jane Teresa and explore the world of dreams? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. to another episode. Today's guest is Jane Teresa Anderson, dream analysis, dream therapist, writer, and mentor. Hello, Jane Teresa. Welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to diving into the world of dreams with you today. Thank you for having me on, Lauren. I'm standing on the edge, ready to dive in with you. (laughs) Well, you're based in Australia, and I, of course, am in the States, so I think we have a 16-hour time difference between us. So, I just want to take a moment to say an extra thank you for being flexible and accommodating with your schedule so that we could talk. Thank you. The same to you as well. We have such a tiny little window when we're all awake and with it. (laughs) I know, but hey, we made it work, right? (laughs) So before we really get into this whole world of dreams, I would love to just know a little bit more about you. I read on your website that you actually have you studied zoology. So how did you go from being more of a scientist and and studying zoology to analyzing dreams? I loved science at school. I really loved it. And then I loved a lot of other subjects too, but the teachers always told me I was good at science. And you know, you kind of take that information on board. So I thought, Mm. I'm good at science. I better go and study science. So I went to university to study science. And science in those days meant chemistry and physics. And at university, I discovered this other thing called biology, which was really interesting. In my day, it was relegated as an art subject at school, so I hadn't really done it. And then as I explored more about biology at university, I got more into the biology of the brain um, Mm. and nerves, and how the brain interprets the world around us. You know, we all know that we look around, or we listen around, or we feel around, and we all interpret the world in different ways. So I had that fascination. But even though I stepped out into the world as a very fascinated scientist and with a lot of, um, you know, I had a passion to teach other people. I was a teacher for a while as well. I worked in a museum putting on displays about biology and exciting things. But at the back of my mind, what intrigued me more than any of that was my own dreams, which I've remembered since very early childhood. And, you know, as a young child, my questions were more along the lines of, where do I go at night? You know, does anybody else go to the kind of places that I go to? Mm. When I was a little bit older, it was like, was that a past life? And when I was older still, it was like, was that a parallel life? And then as I got older still, I thought, hmm, is this something to do with the way that I'm sort of interpreting my experiences around me? And so one thing led to another, and the scientist in me 
kind of took hold by the hand and, and I eventually thought, no, this is where my passion lies. I'm going to follow my passion. And I went out and got a few hundred people involved in um, writing down their dreams and writing down what was happening to them during their waking life and writing down their emotions and their feelings and the issues that came up and uh, got them all involved in doing a big survey and basically did my own research. And that was oh, coming at probably 27, 28 years ago now. And that opened the door and I've been happily working with my passion ever since. Oh my goodness. I love that you just trusted and put everything into this and followed where your heart was leading you. Yes, absolutely. Kind of like the, the, the skills that I had acquired along the way, I'm glad that I did. You know, right. if I'd started off as a five-year-old and thought, right, I'm going to build a career on dreams, I might not have built and, and acquired the skills that I have that have actually been amazing for me. So I think it's, um, you know, being led by your heart is a really good thing. And sometimes we are led a little bit blindly and that enabled us to go and study other things and do things and collect skills along the way. But it's only much later in life, you know, after, not that late in life, but you know, after, right. after childhood, yeah, that we can look back and go, oh yeah, look, there's the path that I came to get from here. When it works the other way around from the age of five, you don't say, right, this is the path that I'm going to follow. I'm going to do this, then this, and this, and that will get you there. You only know the path looking back. Mm-hmm. And as you say, Lauren, you can define it looking back as, you know, I followed my heart. Yes. Yeah. And it's so important sometimes to just be reflective of those experiences of, of, wow, if I would have made one different choice, that would have not led me to this point in life and how grateful I am to be in this point in life. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. All right. So I know everyone's like, all right, let's talk about dreams. Let's do it. <laughs> so what happens when we have dreams that come true, that are almost like a predictive dream in a sense? What does that, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's really intriguing, isn't it? And I usually try to play it down a lot, even though uh, when I was younger, I had a lot of predictive dreams myself. So I know that they do happen. I absolutely know they happen. And in fact, when my, um, after my first two books were published here in Australia, um, I got contacted by a lot of people asking that exact question, Lauren, you know, uh, or actually a lot of people saying, I have had predictive dreams that have come true. And I have never... Uh, wanted to share that information with anyone because I'm frightened that they'll um, take me to the nearest psychiatric unit or whatever. Yeah. And people approached me because I guess my credibility as a published author and because I was doing a lot of radio and television here in Australia on the subject at the time. So when I got a lot of those letters, as they were in those days, <laughs> right. now, I thought, yeah, this is interesting because I've had this experience too. So again, I actually got a lot of people together that did have precognitive dreams and did research with them, asked them questions, did surveys. And I had a book published by Random House here in Australia called The Shape of Things to Come, which actually explored all of that. And I have to say, since I wrote that book, um, my precognitive dreams have stopped. I don't have them anymore. Mm. So bottom line to answer your question, they do happen. They happen in such, for such a small minority of the dreams that we have that I'm always cautious to say to people, when you have a dream and it's very vivid and it seems real, you know, like it's not totally surreal, it seems like, oh, you know, I dreamt that my husband was killed in a plane crash or I dreamt that my child was run over by a train, you know, something that seems um, doable and right. awful. Um, it can be very easy to then think, oh, this must be a predictive dream. I've got to stop and getting on that flight. I've got to protect my child when she crosses the road or whatever. And those are actually very common symbolic dreams and not predictive at all. So when I set out to answer questions such as the one that you've asked me, I'm always ultra cautious first to say, most of us do not dream predictively. Those dreams which may appear that they predict the future do not, as time will roll out and show you, and they're actually symbolic dreams, and if you pay attention to them, they can actually tell you an awful lot about your inner world and things that will really open your eyes in in wonderful ways and make really positive changes in your life. Mm. However, we're still there for the fact that some people do sometimes on those rare occasions have predictive dreams. And I found out from doing my research that the predictive dreams that come true tend to come true between two and 10 days. If it's longer than that, 
it's more like, oh, there's an event, and it's kind of like that dream I had a long time ago, whereas if it happens in the two to 10 days window, it seems very precise. You, know, you can actually go into a lot of the details of the dream that you see play in front of you. And I also noticed that in those circumstances, a lot of the events that the dream seemed to be predicting were already set in motion. So for example, somebody might dream that they woke up the next day and they read an article about such and such in a magazine. And in fact, that article had already been set to print and it had just mm. come out. Um, or they dream that I'm going to meet someone when I'm walking down the road that I haven't seen for a long time, not knowing that that other person had already boarded the plane and was in your town. So it's kind of more like rather than predicting something that was totally um, hadn't even began out there that's way in the future, it's more a sense of picking up on the dream, almost on a telepathic kind of way, picking up on something that's already started to happen. And right. because it's something that's got an energy that's similar to something that's happening in my life, it appears in the dream. So it's kind of outside normal dreaming and a way of um, a little bit of telepathy where we pick up what's happening with other people. But again, the big warning there, if you dream about people in your life, and they're doing things like, I know you might be propositioned by someone to have an affair with them. And you wake up thinking, I was telepathically in communication with this guy. He really, really fancies me. No, he does not. And don't <laughs> yeah. down that track. It's a symbolic dream. Yeah. And I feel about like symbolic dreams themselves. Sometimes we have those dreams that like our partner has cheated on, on us and like we wake up and we're just so angry. Like you just like want to roll over and like punch a mama. It's like, why did you cheat on me? Even though you know it wasn't real. So why do we have those types of dreams? I love that question because it's like the prime example of all. Uh, yeah. Who hasn't had that dream? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, most people do what you've suggested. There's some people wake up and they're a bit more suspicious and think, hmm, what is this? And that can lead to very awkward outcomes. The, what it's usually about is, although the dream seems to be about your partner cheating on you, one thing that you do when you look at a dream, if you're going to do it really seriously and courageously, is you look at everyone in the dream as representing something about yourself. So a dream such as that means a part of myself is cheating on me. I'm cheating on myself. I'm betraying myself in some way. Now, this can be a huge thing, like um, I've just given up my university course, and even though I thought that was a good idea, I'm probably betraying my greater goals in life. It can be something really small, like you've been on sworn off eating chocolate, and you just happen to eat a couple of bits of chocolate over the last few days, and this <laughs> dream comes up like you are cheating on yourself, this is not what you wanted to, you've broken that commitment, you see a partnership's about ah, commitment, yes. isn't it? and betrayal. So even though it sounds really silly and like too obvious and, and you know, if you actually ask anybody who's had that dream, you go back to the day or two before and you really quite deeply explore where was there a sense that you felt cheated or felt betrayed or betrayed yourself or cheated on yourself, the person will usually go, oh, I know exactly what that is. Mm, yes. And then that's really helpful because you can look at the dream and find insight into that. It, how do you feel about the commitment? What are your unconscious feelings about the commitment? Was it really betraying yourself or did you actually make a move that was for, for the better in the future and so on? Mm. And I guess that would also make the same sense if for dreams like where you're losing your teeth. Would that mean then there's loss in your life of some sort? It's not so much about your teeth? Absolutely, Lauren, yeah. There, there's a bit of a sort of a myth out there that if you dream about losing your teeth, you're probably grinding your teeth at night. And I think other people have done surveys, I've done quick surveys amongst friends and it's, there's never a correlation there. Um, some people think that they have, imagine that they have dreams about losing teeth because we all worry about getting older and getting toothless. Right. But yeah, it's none, it's none of the above. It is always about a sense of loss. And, you know, no matter how fortunate we are in life, we're human beings and we hit many speed bumps in our lives or, or situations where we either experience devastating loss or where we fear we fear loss if i do this what am i going to lose mm. and i think one of the reasons why you know we have many dreams about loss that don't feature teeth they feature other things that we've lost but i think one of the reasons our dreams love this theme of losing teeth is that our dreaming mind or you know, deep down within ourselves, we remember that experience when we were young, when we lost our first teeth. You know, we'd have to go to school, we'd get our teeth, 
and we didn't talk funny, you know, we, and we talked or lift because we had holes in our teeth and people yeah. made fun of us and we didn't feel confident. And I think sometimes when we maybe lose our sense of confidence, our dreamy brain can go, I know, I really could swim off that. It's like your teeth fall out. Mm. So that, makes not- a, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. My, my youngest daughter is six and she is now, just now losing some of her baby teeth. And when she first lost her first one, she goes, mama, I don't like it. My smile's not pretty anymore. So that makes sense. There's a lack of confidence when that happens. Absolutely. That's, that's such a beautiful example because don't we all feel that in adult life? You know, you've got to do a presentation or anything and it comes down to, am I smiling right? Is my smile nice? Are my teeth showing? Yeah. And, yeah, a variation of that dream that I think a lot of people relate to is when you're in a, a dream situation like that, you're about to perform or something, and you open your mouth, and you not only lose your teeth, but they kind of like they spit out, or like every time you open your mouth, there goes another tooth, yes. there goes another tooth. And sometimes you say to those people, Do you feel a little bit like when you talk that I wish I could get those words back? Like I feel like every time I open my mouth, I'm saying things that I wish I didn't say because I don't feel confident, and they will always say, Yes, it's exactly like. Mm. Losing, opening your mouth and losing the words that you can't put back in isn't it yes so then you can look through the dream and really examine well where did this we know you didn't feel confident today but let's go back and look at all the other details in the dream and find out where does this lack of confidence originate for you personally you know what can we do what can we understand about your unconscious mind to see what your unconscious beliefs and feelings and attitudes and responses are that is causing you to feel the lack of confidence and this can help you to rebuild the confidence that makes so much sense why are some dream i'm an extremely vivid dreamer i'm that person that almost every night i could tell you what i've dreamt about whereas some of my friends they it seems as if seemingly don't dream. They can't remember their dreams. So why are some so vivid and we remember them and other people have a hard time remembering their dreams? Yeah, I love that question because it's got a double question in it because funnily enough, a lot of people do remember their dreams, but they're not very vivid. So mm. we've got two questions there. Why do some people remember the dreams and others don't? And why are some people like you and me really vivid dreamers and others aren't? Yeah. So the first question first, um, we all dream. It's just that we don't all remember them. And on a good eight or nine hour sleep, if we're lucky, we'll have about five really long dreams. So even people like us that remember a lot of our dreams are only actually remembering the tip of the iceberg. We have so many dreams. Um, reasons why people don't remember them, sometimes it's because as a child, you might have had an upsetting dream and your parents or someone might have said, don't worry, it's only a dream. Immediately dismissed. So why would you remember anything that is just not important? You know, we might have a bad dream and, and make a decision deep down inside of us that I don't want to remember dreams because I don't want bad things like that. So there's some prime reasons. As we get older, the more you tend to jump out of bed in the morning or, you know, your alarm goes off or you wake up, you instantly either jump out of bed or you get into scrolling your phone <laughs> or whatever. The moment you don't allow that time to drift and remember dreams, they're gone. So if you can find a way to get out of bed more slowly, you know, have 15 minutes before you get up to just sort of maybe get into the position you would normally sleep in because your body has a memory of the dreams, you can get them back. So you can train yourself to remember your dreams. So people like you and me that remember our dreams a lot have not been turned off them, um, honor our dreams, love the experiences, definitely want to remember them and have practiced them. The more you practice them, the more you think about your dreams, the more you recall them. The vivid question. Yes. I've had a lot of people say to me, I read your articles and I listen to you and my dreams are so boring. And I really <laughs> like, what do I have to do? To get? <laughs> I think for some people, it's uh, irredeemable. I think people that are very, um, sometimes people that are very black and white thinkers or very, very logical, and this isn't always true, but sometimes they tend to have more of those kind of uh, logical straightforward dreams mm. whereas people that are um, more right-brained uh, have um, perhaps more uh, creative more open-minded in those kind of ways tend to have a lot more of those kind of more open experiences which our brains process in more vivid ways the other aspect of vivid dreams is that the more emotional they are, the more we're processing our emotions, the more vivid the dream. The more, the more there are animals doing things and colours jumping out and surrealistic shapes, the more they represent our, um, 
our uh, processing of our emotions and our feelings. So again, you know, going back to the idea of a person who's a bit more of a black and white thinker, often but not always has a bit of a cap on their emotions, whereas the right-brained people can sometimes tend to be more like, yeah, I want to get involved, I'll feel this, and I, and I, I, I know my emotions are here, and not always good emotions, <laughs> and my colors are here, and that comes in the dreams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, myself, I'm a visual learner, so I've just always thought I'm I'm a visual person. So it's just, I always assume vivid dreams, visual learner, I don't know, made sense to me. <laughs> well, that's true too. You know, if I'm, I, um, often I'm, if I'm looking at someone's dream and they've asked me to help them with it, which of course is the work that I do, if I see, for example, a lot of um, plays on words in the dream, um, a lot of puns, mm. uh, then I usually ask them and, and I discover that they're not a visual person, they're more of an auditory person or they're a writer or they love words. Interesting. Uh, whereas, as you say, a visual person might still have um, puns, but they'll be visual puns. You, yes. know, you might have a cat without a tongue that might be the cat that lost its tongue. <laughs> yeah. So you had said, um, you mentioned when we were earlier when you were talking about what really got you interested in your, in your dreams is dreams from even being a child and reoccurring dreams. So I have had a reoccurring dream since childhood. I mean, I was probably eight years, seven, eight years old when I started getting this dream. And I have questioned that same thing. Like, was this a past life? Was it like, where does this come from? And the dream is that I am at a gas station and while I'm pumping gas, the gas pump explodes or I'm walking out of the gas station and there's like someone with a cigarette and they flick it or, you know, it's just always an explosion and it's always at a gas station. Mm. Do you still have the recurring dream occasionally? Occasionally I do. It's, it's not as frequent. I think, um, when I was probably a teenager and in my early twenties, it was, it was extremely frequent. I mean, um, all of my friends know that I am a little weird about, about gas stations and themselves to the point that like, if, if anyone, if I'm sitting in the car and they go to, you know, pump their, their gas and they didn't turn their car off, I'll reach over and turn the car off. I'm like, no, why are you trying to kill me? Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I am going to talk you dream, but that's really interesting because that's where when you don't know, you know, as a child, they don't know that the dream is symbolic, that you begin to think it's predictive. So you start to program yourself, even as an adult, and you really know that's illogical, you start to think, because I've seen this in my dream, maybe it's predictive, you know? Right. Um, what you've got there is, uh, one thing I'll just prefix by saying is that because our dreams are actually processing our conscious and unconscious experiences of the one to two days before, this means that every time you have a recurring dream, you think, okay, there's a recurring theme or issue in my life. Every time I have this issue come up in my waking life, there's the dream. It comes up again, there's the dream. So with anybody's recurring dream, anyone who's singing with a recurring dream, look back over the last one to two days, each time you have a recurring dream, and you'll begin to work out what it is, even without interpretation, which I'm about to give. And the other clue, of course, is when did the recurring dream start? Like yours, Lauren, started when you were eight. So when we go through this, um, you know, you said that's probably the first time this came up, this issue. What you've got there is an explosion probably of anger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but your, the, the feeling in the dream, and it will be your own anger that was probably repressed as a child, something that I really wanted to say, and I was trying to keep it um, not, it was at a gas station, so it wasn't that you were trying to keep the, um, the, the anger in, you were actually trying to fill your car with some fuel to get somewhere but too much was coming out and, and it was getting explosive. So right. there's the idea of you were drawing on your energy and wanting to um, fuel your life and get places and maybe drawing on some feelings of uh, wanting to be vocal and express yourself. But there's that feeling of once I get started, all this stuff's going to come. I'm going to be really angry. I'm going to let out all this stuff and it's going to be majorly explosive. So I'd say, I'd say it's that balance between as a, as a child, as all children, all children get upset and angry over different things, but we're taught not to express that anger. We used to be taught not to express that anger. It's not in current parenting, of course. Um, so there would be that feeling of, I, I've, I want to draw on yeah, some kind of energy, but um, I'm afraid if I just open, open up a little bit, a whole lot's going to come out. How does that relate? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's definitely me. I'm one of those, I'll bottle it up until I explode type of person. So (laughs) that definitely resonates. And now I feel like when I have that dream, I need to be more reflective as to what I'm going through in that that moment or what I'm holding on to. It's interesting because, you know, there will be all sorts of other details in your adult version of that dream that can actually inform you in really helpful ways. You know, so sometimes one person might actually genuinely uh, explode too much (laughs) and need to hold back a bit. Another person might think or fear that they're going to explode too much, whereas really they might be a timid little mouse and they're just trying to say something, but I really don't want to say anything because I'm sure it's going to really upset everybody. So the dream reflects more how we feel, for example, how we feel about expressing our anger rather than actually about how we do express our anger. Is it too much? Is it too little? So the rest of your dream would show that, as you say, you know you bottle it up. So, you know, that the easier version of that, you know, as you probably already know, is don't bottle it up. Yeah. Get, you know, don't let it reach that point. At an earlier stage, intervene to um, say what needs to be said and find ways around things before that bottle of gas just <laughs> Yes, before we hit the explosion point. Yeah. <laughs> So what about children who have dreams that are almost like take you back for a second? You're like, whoa, what, what are you having? So one of my friend's son, he is only three. He talks about always seeing angels in heaven in his dreams. Mm. Gosh, that's, that's an interesting one. Well, one thing we don't know about your friend's child that's three is how many stories he's listened to and how many um, shows he's watched on TV or on screens or whatever. Um, we don't know if he's been to church. We don't know if he's heard talk of angels. We don't know what his personal experience is that he's drawing on. So we don't know whether he's drawing on information that he's got or stories that he's known that he's processing in his dreams or whether these are things that he, he has, not even, has not even entered his consciousness, which yeah. makes it a really interesting question. So... Um, you, I would really need that information to know that. But I'm going to change that very slightly and then come back to him. So as an example, when I was a child, I dreamt a lot about um, tsunamis and mm. snakes. Now, I was, although I live in Australia now, I was born and brought up in England where we had no tsunamis and, and no vicious snakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and also because of the era in which I was brought up, um, not that I can't really remember television of tsunamis or snakes, but I do remember fairy stars, fairy tales about snakes. You know, so they were, the snakes at least were in my, in my um, storytelling repertoire in my mind as something that was dangerous. And then when I thought about the tsunamis later in life, I thought, you know, I was a timid child in the, approaching the English sea, scared stiff of the waves. So, you know, was my, were my dreams about tsunamis more about my dreams of my fear of the waves? So I think with any child, even though the dreams may feel like the angel dreams there, may feel amazing, if we actually start to approach them and play with them, they can represent things that... Um, they're obviously about the child and how they're dealing with life, um, but they can draw on symbols that they've heard about, read about, seen about, played about. Um, so in that particular case, if he was feeling really up, do you know how he was feeling in the dream about the angels? Um, well, he had he was relating some of the angels. Um, so he, I know that he had said that his mom was there, and he said, was it? I don't know if you were there, mommy. Was that the real you or the fake you? Almost like he was seeing her in the dream, but know that it wasn't truly her. And then said that they went to um, a big house and that's where the angels were and described one of the angels looking like her aunt, um, but also said that there were um, other girl angels who were bigger and then little girl angels and said that the house that they were in were being protected by a dragon. <laughs> Almost like a princess story, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. So the fact that one of the angels looked a bit like he's at her aunt um, suggests that uh, you know he's seeing like the, the good side or the angelic side of the aunt or whatever. Maybe as children, as precious little children often seem beyond the body and seeing the you know, picking up the energy or the emotional fingerprint of the person as well. And all those other angels, I I take, particularly because some are very small and some are older, 
with the um, the child relating to her. I thought you said him at the beginning, but then you said her, so I'm keep swapping the gender here. But um, relating to her her own angelic side, you know, I I there there is a love and light part of me, you know, he he or she is thinking, and then seeing the angels older and in the bigger house. To me, what I get from that is a feeling that as as I even as a three-year-old, knowing that as I grow up, I'm going to be bigger, like the bigger house. My angels are going to be bigger. You know, things are going to change. Um, and the feeling of protection, being protected by the dragon is absolutely gorgeous. So here's a child that is feeling um, uh, comfortable and free and protected in life. Oh, and how beautiful. That, yeah, because of that, um, probably you know, having a lovely, gentle nature that they uh, are encouraged to express rather than being at all defensive because he's got a dragon looking after him. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a nice dragon, he said. <laughs> so, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So we have um, one dream that was sent in by one of our listeners. So I'm going to read that to you if that's, if that's okay. Um, nice. She did want to, to kind of preface this by saying the the two males that are in this dream that she talks about, her stepdad and her stepbrother, they are both deceased, and um, her stepbrother has recently just passed within the past year. Um, so that this whole new part of it, I is I think is kind of triggered by by the loss. But this is what she wrote in. Um, all pretty much every time I have the dream, it's the same except for a few minor details. But basically, in every dream, I am walking up to my childhood house from the road, and I am either coming in from the left or the right, usually from the right if I'm facing the house. I always get to the house, and there is a bunch of cars in the driveway, or I could see a bunch of people inside of the house. In my dream, I get overwhelmed with anxiety as I approach the house. And this is the part where the details tend to change. Usually, I walk into the house, and it's my stepdad's girlfriend, who he was dating after my mom and him split up. And I am, I either am in my, go to my room and I start rearranging it to my liking, or I begin fighting with the girlfriend over who gets to stay and who gets to leave. In my last dream, however, when I walked into the house, I went straight to the kitchen and I saw my stepdad carving a turkey. I excitedly said, your favorite daughter is here. And he looked at me almost angry and says, I don't have a daughter. And in my dream, I am overwhelmed with sadness. I then turn around and go into the living room and a bunch of people are sitting in a circle, just eating and drinking and talking. And I see my stepbrother and his mom. And I ask my stepbrother, what are you doing here? And I don't remember him saying anything, but I remember turning to his mom and I start screaming at her because she had told me that he was dead and clearly he's not in the dream. And that's when she wakes up and she has terrible anxiety from that point forward. Anxiety that's filled into her life for days, weeks, months? She, she's been having this dream for at least the past couple of months. The past couple of months, right. Okay, so um, to, to begin with, there's a sense of going back to the childhood home. And for many of us, we go back to our childhood homes, various childhood homes in our dreams, when we're literally going back to, um, to what well, I started again, in the day or two before the dream, the dream is processing our emotions, conscious and unconscious, and our feelings and experiences of the last one to two days. But while we're processing those experiences, any of those experiences that resonate with something from the past, boom, we'll go back in the dream to the past. It's almost like, if I was feeling um, a sense of loss yesterday, and I'm processing that in my dream of the sense of loss, then I may in my dream go back to times in the past when I felt a sense of loss and see how did I process it then? What have I learned from then? And then the idea is that you wake up in the morning with a sort of updated um, idea about loss or how to approach loss in your life. So that's why we go back in dreams. So a lot of people will go back to childhood homes and dreams because we're going back to the foundational beliefs or experiences that have made us who we are and that have triggered some of the experiences that we've had that we're processing in our dream. Mm. So it's kind of usually very healthy um, to go back to childhood homes because we get to see, oh, okay, so it was the things that happened then 
that made me, you know, have given me these unconscious beliefs about this or have given me these issues or these concerns or these fears or these anxieties. Right. And then the more we go back to those childhood homes and they look different, they can either reflect the fact that as an adult, looking back on our childhood, we say, actually, yeah, my perspective of my childhood is different now, so the childhood home looks different. Or it can be if we've made changes to our mindset, you know, we've made changes to our foundational um, beliefs, then when our childhood home comes up in a dream, it looks different. It has different rooms. It looks different because it's our foundational beliefs and they've changed. So because um, this listener who um, so beautifully shared this dream has um, wanted to tell us to begin with that, um, about the two deaths, her dad and her stepbrother's deaths. Um, and because she's only had the dream in the last couple of months, it may or may not be processing her, um, her sense of loss, as you suggested. However, um, did you say her father died a year ago, but her stepbrother only died in the last couple of months? Did you um, say? Her, her, I believe her, um, her stepdad has, has been passed away for some time. Um, a couple of years, and it was her her stepbrother who just recently passed away within the past year. Right. Okay. And the and the man in the kitchen that said you're not my favorite daughter was that her dad or her stepdad? Um, her stepdad. She does not have a relationship with her dad. So um, the fact that the dream only began a couple of months ago suggests it's less about processing her dad's death. It's more about processing her stepbrother's death. Mm. And it may not even be that. It may be processing other things that have come up since he died. Like I, I the dreamer, um, really frightened of, you know, sudden death <laughs> rather than processing the loss. It could be any of those things. Um, as she goes back to the house, she, uh, and again, each time she has the dream, it reflects the last one to two days. So for each recurrence, if she looks back at the last one to two days, she'll begin to see a pattern. Every time this comes up, I feel this. So when we look in the dream, one of the major themes or one of the major upsets there is at the end is that her father says, you're not my favorite daughter. I have no favorite daughter. Yeah. Her stepfather says. So again, if we look at a dream as people not being who they appear to be, but as being aspects of ourselves, we hit greater truths. Because people can dream of people that have um, died, passed away, and they can come back in our dreams and they can be very loving. And we can say, oh, you know, I'm really in touch with the spirit of my father who's died. But then we can on another night have a dream of someone that's passed and they come back and they act out of, out of character, like really angry or horrible or um, nasty to us and, and nothing like the character at all. And, and you know, those are the dreams you're not in contact with the spirit. The spirit isn't different from the person. You're in contact with your own grieving. You know, part of the grieving process is being really angry at the person for dying and letting you go, leaving you behind and other things as well. So when we meet these, these uh, more negative emotions in our dreams around people that have passed, they're often um, where we're actually processing our own grief. So that thing about not being the favorite daughter, and I would really have to go into a dream in depth to look at it, Lauren, but I would say that would be about her feeling of, um, um, uh, you know, I am not anybody's favorite daughter anymore because there's no one here to be, to be my daughter. And it may actually be going into her actual father, the fact that her actual father, she doesn't have a relationship with him. Mm, I'm not anybody's favorite daughter. Like anybody's wow. favorite daughter, so it may be along along those lines of say, I, I'd really want to um, look at a whole dream and talk to her and ask her some questions. But what I would suggest that she does is what I call dream alchemy, which is a process where after a dream, once you've explored it deeply and you found out something about yourself that you would maybe like to change, um, you do an exercise taking some symbols from the dream. Your unconscious mind comes up with the symbols that it puts in the dream. You, know, you can't use a dream dictionary approach to a dream. So, for example, her, um, her childhood home means something specific to her. So if she then, when she's awake, um, does a visualization around her childhood home and changes it slightly, what she's doing is talking to her unconscious mind in its own language. And you know, her unconscious mind picks the symbol of the childhood home to represent, in her case, maybe um, things that have changed in my life or how I used to think. And so if she then uh, pictures that a childhood home and changes it in various ways, she's telling her unconscious mind to reprogram itself. She's talking its language. 
So um, as an example, what I would suggest that she might do is take that scene uh, sitting in the childhood home in the kitchen where her stepfather says, I, you, was it, I don't have a favorite um, daughter? Yes, he said, I don't have a daughter. I don't have a daughter. So I, I would, um, if I were her, visualize while she's awake, being back in that room, in that kitchen with her stepfather um, and maybe with her father as well. And, and just rehearing that, um, changing that uh, dialogue and hearing him say, um, I have a daughter. And then maybe her father in the background saying, I have a daughter too. Mm. Or she could even be back in the kitchen with none of the male figures there and just in the kitchen um, and saying, I am a beautiful daughter. Now, these sound really silly, but what they're doing, in fact, I like that last one best, you know, to visualise being in the kitchen of her childhood home saying, I am a beautiful daughter. Because what that is doing is telling her unconscious mind that, um, you know, I am of value, I am a beautiful person, um, I, I have not been estranged in any way by anybody or for him, I am, that's their choice. So, um, yeah, something along those lines. That's really powerful. And so like you, almost, you really have to work to shift the subconscious. Yes. When, when I work with someone um, in a, a phone consultation, we spend an hour just exploring one dream. So we really wow. get down on all the details um, and get you know, far more accurate than, than I was there. Um, right. And then we, we work out the dream alchemy, which yeah, then uh, works to reprogram the unconscious mind. So that in her case, for example, I would expect it to any dream alchemy that we actually made up together privately and I showed her how to use it would then shift her anxiety. The anxiety would begin to um, disappear from her life because the un we would have addressed the underlying issues by reprogramming her unconscious mind anxiety issues. That is fascinating. I love that. Do you suggest that we keep dream journals? Yes, I do. In an ideal, wonderful world, I do. <laughs> yeah. I kept dream journals for some 20 years and then they became... I guess I got to the point where I could quickly run through the dream and analyze it and didn't need to record it, but I wished that I had. And I will sometimes write down an exceptional one or I'll, or I'll use it as a piece of writing. Yeah. Um, in general, and particularly when you're beginning, I do advocate writing down your dreams because it's, it helps you to recall more. Uh, when you write down a dream, you, uh, you, you remember more than you might remember it a couple of hours later. Right. And it gives you more leisure to look back and look over them. But of course, we don't all have the kind of time to do that. So alternatives include waking up and making a quick audio recording of the dream. Mm. Another one is doing a stick figures kind of uh, drawing of your dream. Another one is just waking up and putting just either a word symbol or, or a picture of a symbol from your dream and hoping that when you look at that in the morning or later on during the day, it will bring the whole dream back. Another approach for really busy people is to say, okay, I will dedicate Wednesdays for dreaming, a pick a day, any day. When I wake up on a Wednesday morning, I will write down my dreams. And then if you don't have any dreams on that particular morning, do it on the next morning. We'll just go like for one, one day a week. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Sometimes just taking those bite-sized actions, we, we can implement more easily. So maybe it's not every day. <laughs> it's... Aim to for one day, or or if you're having one visual dream a week, record that one. I know if I'm if I'm dreaming, it's every night, <laughs> so I would be kept busy. Do you write your dreams? I do, I do. I record them and I date them. Um, so, I, but I'm I'm one of those people that sometimes it's I think like small parts could be a predictive dream, um, but other times I have found that my dreams. Are, I found they're extremely aligned with my life or um, I'll go back through like recently I was I was traveling and um, I was sleeping in a place that you know wasn't my home so I, I typically am a little bit more anxious in those scenarios as it is not as comfortable don't sleep as well and I had a dream that I was on the floor looking at and I was in my in my home in Florida but I was on the floor and there were ants everywhere well, our home in Florida actually does have ants everywhere. Like they're always invading, <laughs> like there's always ants. But in this particular dream, they were um, going up the wall and the ants annoy the crap out of me on my day-to-day -day life. And um, it, the dream kind of switched in, in that point. And it went from me 
someone following me and I, I wound back up in my childhood home and I was running down the side of the house and the person came up behind me and put their hand over my mouth and basically told me like, don't say anything. So when I journaled this dream out and I thought about it, I was actually able to go back to a time in my childhood home where my dad was trying to teach me a, a lesson of sorts, right? I was, I was a young girl. I was in the backyard. I remember having the hose and my dad walked up behind me and put his hand over my mouth and just disguised his voice and said, don't say anything. And I froze up and my dad turned me around quickly and he was like, if that's someone you don't know, like, don't not do anything, kick, scream, yell, you know? And so I was able to link that dream back to that memory as to why I was back in my childhood home. Um, but I had also felt that entire trip that I had to look over my shoulder. I was traveling in a place I didn't know. Um, I wasn't extremely aware of my surroundings. So I think I was already a little on edge. And that dream to me just kind of confirmed what I was already feeling on that trip. Yes, absolutely beautifully done. Great dream detective work, Lauren. Well done. Oh, yay! You, you were processing that feeling of looking over your shoulder and uh, of the last one to two days, and your dream mind took that back to where in my past did this first come up and that lovely lesson from your father. And I'm smiling as I'm listening to this because when you, um, when we become more and more interested in our dreams, we tend to get more synchronicity in our lives as well. And um, just yesterday, um, I don't know when this episode is going out, but on this very day that you and I are recording this, just yesterday I wrote a blog, I write a couple of blogs each month, I wrote, wrote a blog for one of my websites, which is the Dream Academy, and, and it was because someone had asked me to write on the subject of, um, do, are some of our dreams straightforward, like are they all symbolical, what about the ones that seem like normal waking life, are they just about waking life, and I wrote on that one, I think I called the, the blog, can dreams sometimes be straightforward, and I used an example of, of ants climbing yeah. up a wall, <laughs> so really? I'm, just, yeah, I'm just sitting here smiling, thinking, oh look, there's synchronicity at play, there's my ants running up the wall, <laughs> Oh, what a timing on that. So I'm interested. So what, what is the ants going up the wall? What does that mean? Because I, I know that they're an annoyance in my everyday life, but that was the first time that they had showed up in dream world for me. Even though I only wrote the article yesterday, I can't actually remember what I said about them, but I think I used it as an example to say that uh, the ants would mean different things in different people's lives. So for example, it depends how you think about ants. So ants, if you think, if one person thinks of ants, oh, they're really altruistic, um, you know, creatures, they all help each other out, they've sort of got a communal nest and they do good work of carrying food away from people's houses, but oh my goodness, it's such hard work, so you get soldier ants soldiering on. And for that person, their dream of ants might represent the part of themselves that is altruistic and works tirelessly and soldierly to do good things for other people that's absolutely exhausted. Um, and another person might see ants more as you and I would do is I don't like these ants. Yeah, get them away. <laughs> and those, those ants in the dream then may or may not for that person, not necessarily for you, but for that person may represent um, feelings of intrusion or, you know, ants can undermine us by, by um, eating into the foundations of our houses and so they might represent where we're feeling um, undermined. So I kind of used it, that example in the dream to point to um, to remind people that a symbol is uh, is unique to all of us and, and to explore that symbol. And I, I, you know, because of the nature of that article that I was writing, which is, um, can some dreams just be straightforward? I think I used the example of um, if you dream of moving to a bigger house, is it time to move to a bigger house? Yeah. <laughs> or does it have more deeper meaning? And of course, I went into the deeper meaning and then I brought ants into that story too. So, um, you know, if somebody dreamt that they had ants crawling up the wall, was it straightforward? Did it mean go out and get some um, some toxic spray against ants? No, yeah. well, if you like, but actually it's got a deeper meaning. Yeah, well, I like that you actually, you touched on the intrusion because that made me reflect because in that time period when I had that dream, I had actually just had an invasion of privacy happen in my life. So that kind of makes sense. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like an intrusion of sense. An intrusion. And in that because it's ants, maybe that it's sort of um, insidious, you know, something small but large. It's right. It's insidious and difficult to, um, difficult to shut out as well. So that may relate 
Right. Yeah. I think to other people, the, the intrusion of privacy could, could be seen as, you know, very small, but to me, it felt very big. Yes. 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 Wow. Man, dreams are so cool. <laughs> you have the coolest job ever. <laughs> I'm so glad that I thought to, um, yeah, leave my science behind and go and do it because I do have the cool, well, I have one of the coolest jobs ever. I think there's a lot of people out of the coolest job. You have a cool job too. Yeah. Well, you're a podcaster too. You know about it. <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's really cool. So I know that our listeners are just going to want to learn more about you and more about their dreams. So where can they go to connect with you further okay well you mentioned the podcast so we've got a podcast show called the dream show with jane Teresa anderson and um, we're in our 11th year and i think we're up to podcast number 227 something like that wow. and the general format for those is that the show is about an hour and we have someone come on with a dream um, for, for us to interpret and i don't know anything about the dream until we hit the record button so you hear the whole process of the person sharing their dream and then where we go from there. So that's one thing if you're a pop, if you're because a lot of your audience obviously like this <laughs> podcast. They podcast. better like podcasts. I've got two websites. One is janeteresa.com. That's Teresa without an H and that's where you can go to read to listen to all the podcasts if you're not listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. But also to read hundreds of blogs on dreams and dreaming, to find out about my books, of which I have a large number, and to find out about my services. And then the other website is my um, online um, learning website, which is called it's just the Dream Academy. And the address for that is dream-academy-online.com. And you can go there to do courses, video-led courses, in your own time, at your own pace. Um, so, for example, the first one's called How to Interpret Your Dreams Step-by-Step. And you can go all the way up and do courses on becoming a dream therapist as well. I love it. I love it. So many great resources. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. And it has been a true treat. I feel like I've learned so much. And now I just want to look at my dreams with a, a new lens on them almost. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. It's been lovely speaking with you. It's always lovely to speak with someone else that's passionate about their dreams as well. How cool was this episode? I binge listened to Jane Teresa's podcast and I was extremely fascinated by those who shared their dreams while also engaged in the analysis breakdown. I've linked Jane Teresa's podcast, website, and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or screenshot that you're listening and share it on social media. Be sure to tag me in it. I'm everywhere at mindbizlife. Next week, we are shining light on Brain Injury Awareness Month with a traumatic brain injury survivor and singer-songwriter. Of course, I'm going to be back on Friday for another episode of Feel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.